Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast today. And today we have a special guest on the Unimpressed Podcast, comedian, actor, writer, Mr. Mark shift talking to me from los angeles and uh long time entertainment business guy and i'm unimpressed i haven't met him until now so welcome mark how are you doing thank today you. thank you john i'm uh okay i'm out in los angeles here i just uh, had to climb over a couple of homeless people to get into the studio here but uh all is good i'm gonna bring them out some uh, chopsticks and some uh sirloin tips i want to keep them around you know what i mean <laughs> They keep the crooks away. They it's see a lot of homeless in front of my house. They figure this guy's got nothing, so then the crooks don't come. I've lived in L.A. I lived in Brentwood. What part of L.A. do you live in currently? Obviously the bad part. It's uh, I live in uh, actually a very good area. I'm two blocks out of Beverly Hills. It's, it's Los Angeles, but it's in between Culver City and Beverly Hills. My, my kids live five minutes from me in Beverly Hills, so you can walk there. So you born in the Bronx? Hatched in the Bronx. I was born there, lived there for nine years. Became a, uh, I learned to deal with the streets in the Bronx. You know, I, I, I never played in a park. I only played in the middle of the street. Half my friends were run over, but uh, <laughs> they were good games. Yeah. I actually, you want to know something? Yeah. I can hit a, because we used to play in the middle of the street. We would play stickball or baseball. I learned how to hit a ball exactly straight without it curving off and breaking a window. Because you, you had two apartment houses on both, one on each side, and you mm-hmm. had the street in the middle, and you had to learn how to hit a ball in exactly a straight direction. Otherwise, you'd crack a window or hit an old lady in an ice cream cone. I mean, that's an interesting take. I've never heard that analogy before, but I guess if you didn't want to get in trouble, I guess you had to learn how to hit it the right way. It's a, it's quite a skill to be able to direct the ball in one direction only. And I want to, you know, I like to interview people from the, the foundation up, kind of digging your head and yeah. what's going on. And you've been in entertainment business a long time, been a comedian for a long time, been all these titles for a while. Uh, what is your position? What is your mindset now after looking back at some of the things you did in your career? That's a good question. Uh, my mindset looking back, I'm very pleased with, with what I've done. And I'll tell you one reason in particular. I have worked in show business almost my entire life. I've earned a living starting five years after I got in as a stand-up comedian. I, got, I started around 1976. Around 1980, 81, I started earning some dough, and uh, I've never not earned money, and I've been able to support myself for over 40 years in show business. That is a major accomplishment because, you know, 99% of the people that come in have to have day jobs and support themselves, so I'm very blessed. I also started with a great group of people, so um, we all learned from the ground up, like Jerry Seinfeld, a guy named Larry Miller, Paul Reiser. We all started, you know, um, Richard Lewis, Andy Kaufman was around. A lot of people. So I had a lot of people to learn from, and it was all good. Now, when you get when you get looking back and you look at that circle, it's very hard to make it in comedy. It's probably the hardest genre of entertainment to make it in. And you know, I look at it. I was the guy. I was the the disruptor from a business mm-hmm. standpoint. You know, mm-hmm. because in New York. 
they, if you want to be a comedian, they teach you, all right, you need to start gigging, you know, five shows a week, whatever. And you compare that to the opportunity you have with social media today. You know, when you show up for these shows, you know, people really don't know when you first start out, really, people don't really know who they're coming to see. So they don't know that if their sensibilities are going to uh, be attracted to the tone of the comedian. Uh, they may not like the comedian's uh, narrative. So if you have 50 people in a room at your first show, right, let's say you pull three people out of there that likes what you're delivering. You know, the growth of building a career in comedy, doing that five days a week, and you may pull two to three fans each show starting out, that's why it takes a long time for comedians to build. You know, we kind of accelerated that process using social media. Looking at that group you just mentioned, what did that look like to give you an opportunity yeah. to make money as quick as you did? But it took me four or five years. So we were all, let's call it nursery school. You know, we started just like you start nursery school with a bunch of people that don't know anything. Jerry Seinfeld, Paul Reiser, all these guys, we all started together. Um, and none of us had ever done this before. It was just a dream that we had to do this. And it wasn't five days a week. It was seven days a week, 365 days a year. And we would go on anywhere we could possibly go on. Doing that, if you have any talent at all, you will get better at it. Some of these people on social media, they get very famous, very quick, got a, you know, a lot of people around, but they can't carry a show, can't carry a whole show. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, downtime in their show. And they also play now to their group, th these new comedians, and, and some of them are tremendous, but they, they have their group that come. Outside of their group, people don't seem to understand them. I come from a universal group of entertainers. All we cared about was making everyone laugh, not just our – we didn't have a group. Mm -hmm. We wanted to get every single person, whether they were a white-collar businessman to a garbage man to – you know, a sharecropper from the set, whatever it was. In order to play Vegas, which was our dream back then, not not the Catskill Mountains, but Vegas, you had to be universal. You had to grab everybody because Vegas, everyone was coming from every single different point in the country. When you and say universal. Group, you were not going to meet your group there. I mean, that's that's a good, good analogy, good breakdown. And when you say universal, does you think you had to work harder to pick those spots to make your your set universal to, to kind of round off uh, a position for everybody. What does that What does that look like for you from a creative standpoint? I have an eye for understanding somehow humanity, and what generally irks me irks other people. So when I put my thumb on that, um, then I'm usually pretty good chance it's going to work. Maybe, you know, with stand-up comedy, when you create a bit, 90% of the stuff you create is right in the garbage can. It just doesn't go. But that 10% is, is, is cream right at the top of the, uh, right, up, right up there. So yeah, Universal, I don't, also, my group doesn't talk about their lives in, in like, this is what happened to me and how hurt I was. And we just talk kind of, uh, you know, my mother this, my father this, my kids, my grandmother. It's, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's yeah, I mean, do you think, you think we should kind of digest that and maybe make things a little bit simpler? You know, I mean, I mean, I'm the guy who actually, you know, you talk about the social media. I'm the guy who broke in 2016. I was the trailblazer who started the whole, you know, social media deal. I just, because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I rented a venue. I would sell my own tickets. I would market the show. And then I had a guy who who has kind of an almost a natural deal going on because I always looked at him and he could turn a thought very, very fast. Didn't really prepare. 
but could just get on it, you know, could get on stage and have a rolling set, right? And, and the the chemistry worked, okay? I didn't know what I was doing. I did business how I thought I knew how to do business in comedy, find out that was backwards because I kind of reversed engineered the whole thing. And you look at preparing, is is there that within that group preparing, yeah. was there anybody that had an, a natural tick? Uh, it was my understanding that Seinfeld would, you know, really, really study his lines and so forth. Yeah, okay, so we, we, we're all writers. The guy that okay. rolls along, he, he, um, I write every day. I just wrote a book, stand-up comedy. I would tape my act at the club, then come home and uh, go over the tape and take out what was not working and what was in working. And it was all typed into uh, either computer or when I first started a typewriter, wrote by hand. Jerry writes in yellow legal pads. I'm, I've been on the road with him. I was just with him this week. We played 14,000 people. Wow. And uh, he's, he has yellow legal pads that he's writing in all the time that he has in front of him. Let's say we're backstage in the green room. And I go, I'm, I'll see you in a little while. I'm going on. And he'll say to me, don't screw it up. All right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just joking with me, of course, you know. I look at him and he's going over a yellow legal pad, looking at the jokes he's going to put in there. Now, we did don't, you, did we you don't learn just roll a lot with from it. him or did yeah, you learn a you know, lot? The guy's brilliant. He's a comedian and he's a, a mentor as far as watching someone construct and, and dedication. His dedication, he's a, a scientist, you know. I mean, a, he... I've seen Jerry search for one word for a routine for six months to try to find the right word to fit in a routine. This whole thing about people getting on stage with nothing and just rolling is uh, maybe there's one in a billion that can do that. Mm -hmm. But you're not going to perform that same way the next show because you have a different crowd with a different head. But if you've got solid material, you can perform it at every show to every crowd. And not, I do not depend on them for anything. Mm -hmm. I hope they'll laugh, but it all it's it's all on me. Now, do you think y'all kind of um, were the school of hard knocks for comedy? Do you think we should get back to that to create more value for comedians? It's, it's still out there. You know, listen, the clubs are, are, are filled with young comedians every night practicing rolling from one club to another in New York and out here in Los Angeles. Less so in Los Angeles because it's so spread out. In mm -hmm. New York, you can take a cab from one club to another here from one club to another is a 40 minute drive generally. Is there but, anybody, anybody that you see today that kind of fits what you saw when you were starting? I don't know any of the real young guys cause I, I'm, I'm not at the clubs that much cause I'm working around the country, but these guys are great. You know, Joey Coy is great. Um, there's a woman named Rosebud that's very good, very talented, a, a writer. She's, she's terrific. Um, I don't know. I can't really, there was a guy, um, I can't remember. I'm sorry. I think of his name, but just terrific, too. There's a lot of good people out there, and they're working hard at it. Do you think what you were doing is somewhat um, like a psychology about human behavior? Yeah, you do have to analyze uh, people to some degree. You, you, you know, you look at them, and uh, and you got to figure out. The, the truth is, if, if I'm speaking uh, what I'm really thinking and feeling, and they're going to get it. They may not mm -hmm. laugh, but they're going to they're going to understand it. I don't try to educate, and I've had this conversation with Jerry and other people. We're not in the education business. We're not trying to teach anybody anything. We're not trying to show anybody how smart we are. We just want you to have a good time. That mm -hmm. is it. If you come and have a good time, then we've done our job. If you come, uh, I'm not a professor. This is not a TED Talk. This is not uh, an analysis of my sexuality or why my father fondled me. It has nothing to do. It's just all about making you laugh. You're the most important thing in the room. Some of those things you just said, you know, a lot of people, I've heard that comedy comes from the darkest places. Would you say, how would you relate that? 
to what you do and maybe to what some of these other guys may pull from? Do you think there's any viability for that? It depends on the person. Listen. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I, I do routines on my dog. Is that from a dark place? No. You know, I do routines about, you know, getting dog food at, at Petco. And I do routines about, there's a routine I got about, uh, I dropped off my dog at this place called Cage Free. Everything now is cage-free, cage-free chickens, cage-free. I dropped the dog off for four days, came back to get him. Guy says, I don't know where he is. Yeah. So what do you mean? He goes, it's cage-free. So <laughs> that's not coming from a dark place. That's just a funny yeah. observation. Yeah. My friend gave me, I had a thing about Adderall. There's an Adderall shortage now, but nobody can focus on it. So <laughs> that's not from a dark place. Yeah. But I did have a, a tough childhood, and I do talk about my mother, and that did come from a, a fear-based place when I was a child. Mm-hmm. about my mother screaming at me and threatening me, but I've been able to turn it into funny. So the answer is yes and no. Some stuff comes from um, traumatic places or places that cause a lot of angst, and some stuff, no. Seinfeld's big on observations. He doesn't uh, doesn't go deep into the. Uh, although he's getting more and more because of marriage. When you're married, you got material for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say when you think about someone's narrative, right? In comedy, it's about simple relations. You just talked about the dog food, and I talk about narratives. I think sometimes narratives have almost hit a ceiling. It's almost like we're trying to make things too difficult. When if we made things a little simpler that there might be more relatability. Right. Um, like what do you mean? Well, you're, you know, you're, you're mentioning about, you know, you may be talking about sexuality, somebody's sexuality, someone's this, someone's this, you know, they, and they get fixated on a topic, right? Yeah. And then they try to dissect that topic, right? Do you think we shouldn't have to dissect those topics and get back to something a little more simpler? You know what yeah, I'm saying? Simpler you... and universal. I mean, who cares yeah. a guy, about a guy that, uh, you know, it, it, there's a difference between a one-man show and a stand-up comedy act. Mm-hmm. A one-man show, he, he goes deep into the psychology of his life and his this and his sexuality and this. And that stand-up comedy is, uh, you know, people coming out to have a good time. They don't want to be, you know, beaten over the head with uh, your your troubles. They get their own troubles. They come to forget their life, not to dig deep into why they're struggling in areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like you're a, you know, you want to take them away from their daily life, right? And get them out of that position. Yeah. You know, we have people all the time. Being a comedian is is one of the greatest jobs. People come over and they say, if only people in life would say the nice things they say to comedians. 
at regular jobs. Mm-hmm. They'll come over and go, you know something? When I came here today, I was not feeling well. I was sad. And, and you made me feel better. One guy said to me not too long ago, he said, you know, I, I take heart medicine. I forgot it. You were my medicine today. I've had women say to me, you know, my husband died like four years ago. I haven't laughed since then. I think I'd ever laugh. And I, I laughed tonight. Thank you. You know, so that's that's what it's about. That's now, what it's about. Looking looking back at your career as well, do you think time has went fast? As does, when you look back? and Yeah, like, and when damn. you get older, it always looks like it went fast. You know, when you're like in your 20s, it looks like it's going to drag on for a zillion years. But uh, yeah, it's it's sped up now, especially. I'll be out of here in 20 years. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be out of here in 20 years? Probably. Yeah. Do you, do you, does your mind, does your mind? If I'm not, I'll be like, uh, unless I'm lucky, you know, and I'm not just like a, a dribble addict by then, yeah. but uh, I, don't, I don't expect to, uh, you know. Um, you married kids? Yeah, I got a wife, 32 years and three boys, all two of them married, one not all have really good jobs. God willing, when I retire, they'll be able to support me. And one of the, one of the boys then? What are they what? What are your uh, son? You said three boys, right? Three boys. And what do your sons do? One's an agent, a uh, TV TV agent. Okay. The other is uh, a producer of uh, TV, and the other is in finance. Let me ask you this. Seeing, having kids in entertainment, you being in entertainment a long time, do you think that um, technology is kind of cutting the cord on positions within the industry? No, technology is, is – I'm mean, glad we have it. It's very important. you got to stay uh, – I'm a little far behind, but uh, it's where, it, it's what it is. You know, you, you know the, uh, the blacksmith had to go. Because, you know, sometimes those guys and Hollywood guys, they have this – I call it a pattern of business, right? You get in that pattern of business, and because they're, they feel good with that pattern of business and they feel safe – and they may, and they, and they're not looking outside of that lane, and they mm-hmm. may miss, maybe missing some things over here that could actually help them instead of hurt them from their mindset. Do you, you see anything like that? I do tweet, I do some Instagram, I do Facebook. Uh, I'm not big on Messenger. I'm not big on TikTok. You know, every one of those is a full time job, mm-hmm. and I just don't have it. I have to write, and uh, that's what's important to keep keep writing. But I do tweet and I do do Instagram and I do do uh, videos now, especially with my book that just came out, I'm making a lot of videos, trying to get people uh, interested in it. It's a terrific book. People seem to like it a lot, but uh, uh, social media is important. But mm-hmm. for the most part, like everything else in life, it's a total waste of your time. Mm-hmm. What do I care about the Kardashians and who's screwing who and who's dating who? Why is that yeah. my business? Yeah. I could spend the whole day troping these people and not get any writing done. Guy called me today to, he wanted me uh, to talk about an analysis of Dave Chappelle's uh, Saturday Night Live uh, appearance. I said, mm-hmm. I don't have time to, to analyze it. I, I got work to do. You still have, the, when you get up every day, I get up every day and it's like, I got to go. I got to work. Go. Work every day. Do you, do you feel that way every day? Totally. Because the, gr- well, the great ones are like that. Yeah. No, you got to. What am I going to do? I, I, I never watch TV during the day, ever. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, and I, I watch it with my wife only. Otherwise, I don't waste time with that. I try not to do any, uh, hardly any uh, news anymore. I can't stand it. And it's, uh, I got work to do, and uh, I'd like to do a little more work before I croak. <laughs> I, if, if I had a choice between watching more TV uh-huh. if, if for the next 10 years and then dying or writing every day for 10 years, I'll take the writing. So what was the what was the inspiration for the book and foundation of the book? So the book is called Why Not? Mm-hmm. It's, and the subtitle Lessons on Comedy, Courage, and Chutzpah. Jewish word meaning kind of uh, goal, you know, like uh, it, it, you know, you, you take chances with stuff. So why not? In life, two words can change your life. Like when you get married, what two, what, 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 what two words do you say? I do. I do. 
And that mm -hmm. completely changes your life. That means no more sex, no more, you know, it just uh, gets rid of it. No. So I do change his life. So does Why Not? The book came about, uh, there's a guy named David Suisa. He's the uh, head of the uh, Jewish Journal. He called me one day and said, Mark, would you write an article for us? I thought about it. I said, why not? And I mm -hmm. wrote it. Then he said, would you write some more? And I thought, I said, why not? And then before you know it, I had like 40 essays written for this newspaper. And then COVID hit. And I did not want to just sit around getting fat, watching TV. And I decided, I thought, maybe I'll write a book. Why not? Mm -hmm. And I wrote the book. Somebody told me about an agent. I said to him, would you read it? He said, why not? I read it. <laughs> he called me up. He said, uh, I like it. Let's, and we worked on it. He said, can yeah. I send it to some publishers? I said, why not? He sent it to publishers. The, this publisher called Apollo Publishers called him and said, we'd like to have a meeting with Mark. He called me and said, you want to meet with him? I said, why not? We had a meeting. Then they called him and said, we'd like to make Mark a deal. He called me and said, they want to make a deal. I said, why not? <laughs> and uh, I got the book. So what, All because what, I said, why not? What? Uh... This what book would not be the... here if I said no, thank you the first time. <laughs> hey, that's that's pretty sharp. That's what, exactly uh, what happened. Same thing with what, this interview with you. They said uh, you want to come on the show with John. I said, why not? What? Uh, what? <laughs> tell me, tell me a little bit about what we're where are we where are we directing people with that book? What uh, lane are we sending them down? What are we? What are where are we going? Okay, with so it? it's sixty essays about. Some about my famous friends or people I've met, like, you know, I mean, my travels with Seinfeld, uh, the stories in there about Anthony, my experience uh, with Anthony Hopkins, the great actor. I have stories uh, uh, on Anthony Hopkins, Catherine Hepburn, uh, Seinfeld, essays about my growing up, about uh, doing stand-up comedy, my uh, spiritual run, you know, like what I, what I do on a daily basis, on losing weight. I lost 50 pounds and how to keep weight off. I've kept it off for over 10 years. Uh, so there's a lot of good stuff in there. And people really, you know, when you talk about universal, people read my stuff and they say, you know, I just so relate to your writing. Again, what I'm not. spirituality? What's, uh, what's So I, uh, I've always been a believer in God. Never had a problem with it since the day I was born. Never looked back on it. It's always been uh, comforting to me. And uh, I've gone back to uh, temple, back to synagogue. I go there. I have a strong community. Uh, many, many years ago, this week will be 30. 38 years, I'm sober. I haven't had a drink. I talk about that in, in the book, cleaning up my, uh, you know, I used to drink a lot. I was an alcoholic. Stopped that day at a time. So all that's in the book. And it's it's done with uh, humor. And uh, it's touching at times. I got stories about having to put my dog down, you know, what that was like. Um, you have, I, um, with your spirituality thing, do you have a you have a little different approach? You have something different that you do on the spiritual side? So when I wake up in the morning, I do two, uh, I, have, I have a thing I do every day. But first thing I do every day is when I wake up, I walk the dog and I make my wife breakfast. Mm -hmm. So when you're married, women like to say, you never did anything for me. That, that's a big mm -hmm. thing that women like. You never do a thing for me. So I always do something for my wife right in the beginning. So she can't complain that I never do anything for her. So that, that's taken care of. And then I, I do trend, TM, meditation. Mm -hmm. So I do it twice a day. I do some set Jewish prayers. And I pray for my family and, and friends. And then I uh, try to do the hardest thing I have to do for that day first. That's generally the thing I want to do the least. And um, that's pretty much it. You know, I, uh, as far now, as. Do you make a list? Do you make a daily list? A I daily do the same list? thing. I do. Well, I have a list of things I, I need to do, but those things I just mentioned to you are just things I do every day. And if I don't uh, do my little prayers and I don't think about it and pay attention to that, then uh, my day is off a bit. I feel like I've, I've, I've missed something important. 
I also have a, uh, besides the book, I have a podcast called You Don't Know Schiff. You Don't Know Schiff? You Don't Know Schiff, my last name. So, But as far as the, uh, you know, we're talking about the book, all that is in the book. And How about the, Catherine Hepburn? Catherine Hep- Hepburn, you said? What yeah. was your little story about that? So I worked at a Broadway theater selling candy. You know Gilbert Gottfried? You remember Gilbert? I do. The I know Gilbert comedian. Gottfried. Yeah, he passed yep. on. Not too long ago. So Gilbert and I sold candy at a Broadway theater. We got $7.50 a, a show. So we were earning like, I don't know, $30 a week. And Catherine Hepburn was in a play with Christopher Reeve, who played Superman. He's, mm-hmm. he's gone now, and they're both gone. So one time in the afternoon, she's in the theater walking around, opening these doors, to, trying to cool off the theater. And I said there, can I help you? And eventually, she started meeting with us every day for five or 10 minutes telling us stories about Humphrey Bogart, Spencer Tracy. We became friends. Yeah. I started helping her with that. And then she gave me a, a, a drawing of herself she made, like a, a hand drawing. And she gave me an autographed book and she invited me to her house for a party and told me to call her. This this was the, this woman won more Academy Awards than anyone in history. Four Academy wow. Awards. I was earning $7.50 a week, and she was paying attention to me. And the reason is, I think she really understood that I was new. I was a young kid, and I was, I was struggling to, to make something myself. And she befriended me just to kind of tell me that I'm okay. It was a beautiful thing she did, and I'm forever grateful. She didn't have to be that kind to me. So that's what this – many of the stories about things about kindness – faith in yourself. Um, the thing I'm most I think, proud I of. I think great talent. I think great talent can recognize great talent. There's a yeah. different, there's a different tone. There's a different vibe. You think that was the connection? Well, I, I think that people could recognize when people are serious and are decent people. I think they recognize that. And that, that's sometimes there are great artists. You don't want to be near because mm-hmm. they're just not nice people. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather be near a, uh, a nice truck driver than some genius, nasty person. What is your thought process? You know, some of the great ones, you know, I call it the light switch effect, right? It's like, you know, when the camera comes on, it's like you turn on a light switch, you know, it's a, to, for a great artist. But some of those great artists, like you said, off camera, they're a disaster. Right. Do you think there's a mental health issue there? What do you think that is? What do you, you think that's... I don't know if it's mental health. It's uh, an insecurity that people have. I think Mm -hmm. it's some sort of fear. That's why people get angry because they're afraid of something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it's fear-based, a lot of this stuff. Why people are nasty. I don't think uh, they understand that you can get, you know, there's the old saying, you get more uh, with honey than you can with uh, vinegar. How do you think those ones in... How do you think those ones in in entertainment that kind of have that reputation? How do you, how do you think they get to where they got to when they may not be able to treat some you know treat people the best? That's a good question. A lot of them have handlers that handle a lot of their nonsense for them. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it catches up with you. I I, I mm-hmm. believe that ultimately, it, it, people hire people because they want to be around that person. Not necessarily, mm-hmm. be, you know, you know you need people who are talented, very talented, but you don't want to be around people that are just Friggin' annoying. I don't know if you have kids, but uh, you do. As a parent, I think one of the number one things you want to do, if you're a young parent, listen to this. You want to send a person into the world that is not annoying. Mm -hmm. 
That's a big deal. It's a mm-hmm. terrible thing sending annoying people into the world because then they just ruin stuff for everybody. I know because I was very annoying. I was an mm-hmm. incredibly annoying child. People used to say to me, you're the most annoying person I've ever met. I've never made anybody more annoying than you. Why are you so annoying? Stop annoying me. This is what I used to get every day. It made me worse. Well, I've, I've, I've said this too with other comedians, especially in New York. I've been, I've interviewed a couple <laughs> comedians in New York and one Italian comedian I was interviewing, you know, he said he would go out there with his cousins, you know, and it'd be him and four others. And he was very auditory, uh, auditory type of comedian where he could hear sounds and repeat the sounds. Right. Sure. And, you know, the Western world would look at those five kids and say, he's different. There's something wrong and almost suppress, suppress that. And I've thought maybe if we didn't suppress that and we embrace that, there may be some more special ability there that maybe could help some people. What do you yeah. think about that thought process? Because yeah, you're, I, you're talking about, you say annoying, you, you might've just been the kid that stood out. I didn't know how to act. Mm-hmm. I was, I was, I was lost in the arena of how to act like a person. I wanted to have friends those so desperately that I used to annoy them into trying to be my friend. I didn't know how to just uh, deal with people. I, I, mm-hmm. I missed that when they handed out the dealing with people uh, seminar when you were born. I missed that day. Gotcha. I'm better at it now. You know, marriage well, think, uh, marriage helps you with that. Well, there's a what well, there's a learning curve, right, in this business. And I had a learning curve. Me managing acts. I'm I'm a very black or white type of person. Yes, no. And I have you know I work 12, 15 hours a day, and I, I have so many people coming at me like I'm you know. Like I'm a relative, I'm a father, I'm taking care of him, whatever. And I would just say, yes, no, yes, no. And when I first started looking around and understanding some of the, the sensitivities and personalities in the room, I look back now and I said, I might've handled certain people differently. And I think that's a little bit of a learning curve in entertainment. And that's something I didn't really pick up on. Probably hurt some relationships at the beginning right. because I was a little little hardcore. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm the same as you. I probably hurt a few myself I didn't know how to deal with. So what I do now is when I see people that I haven't seen in a long time, one of the first things I say to them, I almost do it almost all the time, I say, was I nice to you? And if not... Tell me and let me uh, clean it up right now. So I will ask people if I if I owe them the amends for anything or if I was not decent to them. And it doesn't happen too often. But once in a while, someone says, yeah, you know, you're a little cold or you're, but not, nothing extraordinary. Not, uh, But I like to do that because I like to right the wrongs. You know, listen, the way we were back then, you have no choice but to learn from it and grow from it and not do those things anymore. That's, that's what's great about living a long time. You get to see the mistakes and you can... Uh, Reroute well, I think, I think grow up in the Bronx too is almost survival. You know, it's like, you know, you're talking junk to this one. You're talking junk to that one. You know, mom and dad are talking junk. I mean, it's somewhat of a lifestyle in the Northeast, you know, a little different because my, my dad was, was born in Newark uh, on Titchener Street. My mom was from North Carolina. I grew up in the South. I sound like a redneck, but I, I experienced both worlds. And what I found out is people... People are the same, right? You may have 10 different types of person, people yeah. out there. Make, when I say makeup, when you look at the Northeast and you add a lot of people, right, compared sure. to another area that may have less people, you kind of perpetuate a little bit to kind of put you in that survival mode, right? I think that was the only difference. It wasn't about these stereotypes that we create from a, a Western mindset. Does that, mm-hmm. does that make sense? You ever thought about that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, when I was eight years old, I was selling firecrackers. I mean, yeah, that was pretty advanced for an eight year old. Yeah. I, now, 
I buy a Mattifier crackers, I think 144 in a mat or something. And uh, then I would sell them for like 10 cents a pack and make some extra money. So I was already like dealing in the street with stuff. Here's another interesting one. When you say success in the entertainment business and purpose, right? To me, I have enough. I've made money. I'm happy. But now it's about more purpose. How do you define purpose for you? That's a great question. A life without purpose is not living. That's really, you have to have a life where you, you know. So for instance, I did not have a primary purpose before I stopped drinking. My, my purpose was just fool around, read chicks, do that. And then I, I stopped uh, drinking. I got sober and I, I got a primary purpose in life to stay sober and to help other people to get sober too. And that purpose gave me a direction in life because every day when I wake up, I know that I'm there to be helpful to people. My comedy, all that stuff is, 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 is also unbelievable, my writing, but I do have a primary purpose to help people to try to have a better life. That makes a difference. Now, that, did your, they, comedy, your comedy change at all when you stopped drinking? A lot of people worry, you know, when they stop drinking or doing drugs that uh, they're not going to be funny anymore. No. Uh, I went through about a six or seven month period where I wasn't funny. I was just drying out and clearing my cobwebs out of my head. Then after that, I picked up again and uh, I've never looked back. How was the family support through the drinking? Family didn't know anything about it. I wasn't married at the time when I stopped. You know, mm-hmm. I was I was, I was, was a single guy. And my parents never knew that I had an issue because I never got popped. I never got pulled over. I never got in a car wreck. Never went to a rehab. I just did it until the day I couldn't do it anymore. I was a blackout drinker. And how much, how much would you drink in a day? So it became less and less because my body was so filled with the stuff. I drank like a six-pack of beer and a bottle of wine. You know, how old that- were you when you stopped? I was... Uh, 30, 31. I was, I was fried. I was fried. I couldn't remember anything. I was blacking out. I was driving drunk. And did you have any history in the family of drinking? No, no. My parents were, no, never drank. My mother would have a half a glass of wine and go, boy, I'm so hot. And my ears were hot. No, nobody. Really? I had an uncle, I think, that drank too much, but no, it wasn't uh, nothing I could trace. It was, it was me. I was, uh, I was born with a lot of angst and I need to cool it, cool it off. So I, I found booze. Do you, you still feel some angst today? Yeah, every day. It's part of life. Yeah. You know, you're going to have stress in life. Yeah. I mean, even though I meditate and do all that stuff, I feel better than I used to. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as long as you know you're going to die, you're always going to have some angst. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, this, yeah. isn't a good, this isn't an angst-free ride here. Once you enter yeah. you know, into the world. So what do you got going on? What do you got going on? You have the book. Why not? I got the book, Why and- Not? And I'm working feverishly on it every day. I got the podcast, You Don't Know Schiff, I'm working on. I got my act. I'm touring with Seinfeld. I was just with him in, uh, where was I, in Reno the other day to 5,000 and in Santa Barbara, California to 5,000 people. And got a book signing tonight. I got my writing to do. So I'm 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 really, and uh, I'm a grandfather now of two little ones, a two-and-a-half-year-old and a 18-week-old. Uh, nice. That changes your life, too. What level, when you go from... What's the difference from having your own kid to being a grandfather? What's the difference? Well, everybody says, you know, in some ways it's more fun, the grandchildren, because you, you don't keep them. You give them back. And, you know, you're not going to get stuck for a half a million dollars, probably, you know, in mm-hmm. schooling and, uh, you know. So it's kind of nice. You know, you kind of spoil them. Then you give them back to the, the parents. It's tremendous fun. And it gives it gave me a, a, another purpose to carry on and try to stay healthy and, and, and live longer. Because mm-hmm. you want to see what they turn these little crazy people turn into. And so when is uh, y'all going to the talking about the family? I'll ask ask this question. We'll 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 come to a close. I mean, I've enjoyed the conversation. There's a lot of 
a lot of good information, a lot of history, you know, and a lot of value there, uh, a great foundation. Uh, I think celebrating that foundation is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, valuing things is a big deal. Does all this kind of come into one? Uh, and I say valuing things in your history and so forth. And you say family and does this come into one as a, a linear mindset with family, career, all these things? Do you feel like you came from a different place than, you know, what someone comes from today? And can we get people back to having a rich foundation, having mm -hmm. value in them, believing in themselves more? Does that make sense? Is there yeah, yeah. I, I came from a much more community-spirited world, and I live in it now. There's a lot of these young people, God bless them, but they don't want to have kids anymore, so many of them. They don't want to get married. And those are the things that root you in life. I remember Damon Wayne said to me, you know, I don't trust people that don't have kids. Mm -hmm. All my friends that are single, never got married, never had kids, they're all friggin' nuts. You know, they're in the 50s, 60s, they're all out of their minds because they didn't have anybody to tell them what to do and direct them at all. They were just like, you know, a rudderless boat, you know, just floating around. Mm -hmm. And uh, you got to buckle it up, man, when you got a wife and you got kids and, uh, you know, everybody yakking at you and telling you, you know, do this and that. What would be one piece of advice you would give young people today? Because young people, to me, they seem very, they, they get very sensitive about very simple things. How can we change that? Yeah, I know. They're very sensitive. They they fall apart if you say something that uh, they don't like. Mm -hmm. Well, I think young parents have to not coddle their children and not send out into the world because those people that you're talking about are very annoying people. The ones that if you say one thing, they're like, ah! you know, they just, uh, that's, that's annoying. Those, those are, those, somebody ought to smack them on the head with a, with a feather hammer. You know, it's like, uh, so if you're a young parent, don't coddle them, let them get hurt. Let them eat some dirt sometimes. Don't wash their hands every three minutes. And um, teach them uh, some, a value system. Mm -hmm. These people now, you know, I mean, uh, you know, some of them with the, uh, yeah, I'm fine on my own for the rest of my life. You know, what kind of life is this? I know, at least for me, I, I don't like being alone. I like being around at least a couple of people I love. Well, it's good advice. And yeah, I always say this, you know what the most important thing about life is? Is what? Is life. The most important life, thing about right. life is life. life. Live in life. I agree with you. Life is exciting. if you don't have that, you got nothing. Got nothing, man. Life is very exciting. You just got to just get in the game. Love the conversation. I love the history. Thank you, John. Uh, Mr. Schiff has a book coming out called Why Not, which I think if you want to hear about some of the, the original comedians who started in the game and kind of established the game and gave the game value, check out this book because um, I think it's very, very interesting. Thank you. Comedian, actor, writer, Mr. Mark Schiff. And Thank you. I am John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 